So welcome back to the AEC Hive podcast. I'm Ralph Montague. I'm a director of Dark Ducks. I'm joined by John Egan, co-founder of AEC Hive and director of BIM Launcher. John, do you want to introduce yourself and say hi to everybody? Hi, everyone. This is John Egan from BIM Launcher and co-founder of AEC Hive. I'm looking forward to another great conversation today. Great. We are talking about innovation in the AEC sector, and we back down south today in my home country of South Africa. So very excited to have uh, with us today Vaughan Harris from the BIM Institute. Vaughan, you're very welcome, and do you want to just give us a little bit of background about yourself and just say hi to everybody? Yeah, morning, John. Morning, Ralph. Thanks very much for this opportunity. As I said, it's great to be down uh, south chatting to you guys virtually. I think these are, without a doubt, exciting times, but uh, quite daunting times for most people, regardless of what industry you're in right now globally. Typically, I mean, my most people who know me on social media either know me as the Baron of BIM or typically the, the BIM Institute uh, founding member. And it has been for me, I think, personally, I'm living my dream one could say it is a BIM maverick trying to come in. And I think I've been always chomping at the bit to help Africa change its way. So I think uh, podcasts like this are always welcome, and I look forward to our discussions. So BIM maverick, tell us a little bit about that. You, you're out there disrupt, disrupting the AEC sector in, in Africa. Yeah, <laughs> the one thing I can say is that if I reflect back on the years of all the work I've done and what lies ahead, I think we need to remind ourselves of that old cliche, which is be careful what you wish for and you may just receive it. And <laughs> I think I've been chomping at the bit to do many things. And I think being a, a leading BIM advocate, especially within South Africa and very well known within other African countries, I think some of the current issues that we face in South Africa particularly in the design as well as construction, is no different from anywhere else in the world. And although we might be late adopters, um, I've learned that we've seen a lot of countries around the world adopt certain standards, and they've certainly been lessons learned. I embrace this. I mean, I, I, I must acknowledge that I have been accused of being uncompromising and probably unmindful. In, in my passion and enthusiasm to become this BIM maverick or the baron of BIM. Yet, I think if we look at the people who accuse me of these um, unfi- unmindful statements are usually software vendors who, regardless of the software that they're selling in particular, often pro- we still see how they portray BIM as software. And I think, you know, in an industry where stakeholders are striving to improve the sector, we, and also trying to innovate it. I think our, ch- our toughest challenges are still lying ahead of us, especially when we see epidemics like COVID-19 now sort of collapsing our global economies. Your, your background is in quantity surveying, so and um, you know, costs and understanding costs in construction. I mean, the big driver in Europe for digitization is obviously productivity and because Europe can't compete on labor costs. And, you know, that's, I think that's really, if you peel it back and see what BIM is being pushed by the European Commission and by various governments within Europe, it's all about trying to get more built infrastructure, you know, for less cost, improve the quality of that infrastructure and uh, improve the impact that the building sector has on, on the environment through reducing wasteful practices. Would you say this, the same drivers 
around cost and delivery of infrastructure are happening in Africa? Because obviously, I would imagine Africa doesn't have the the same sort of labor cost issue. Yeah, Ralph, I think that's a that's probably a podcast on its own. But I think, <laughs> you know, in my experience as a Kwani surveyor of almost about 14 years in the field, I carry the 10 years of experience being on the front lines of industry software. And uh, fortunate of also lobbying certain governments within the African continent. And there's been some big players in this industry who are trying to sort of muscle their way into either providing a national or even a digital annex. Yet I've always seen the quantity surveyor as someone who's the forgotten profession. And although BIM has paved the way for many, it's the quantity surveyor who's had to sort of continue his role of coordination and profession and adjust. And I think they've adjusted very well. I think it's going to happen whether we plan it or not, and regardless of your profession. And I think my voice still reverberates through many resistant corridors within the old and powerful. Even I'm talking about quantity surveyors as well as the architects. Uh, I read a very interesting uh, blog by, I think it was Andrew Gamblin from Wilmot Dixon, who said, you know, this crisis is an opportunity for us to rethink our priorities and how we can better use this technology and innovate to help us, you know, join up data and support the immediate societal needs and this creation of a more resilient built environment. And we keep talking about 5D and 4D and 6D, 7D, even I've heard the realms of 8D coming up soon. If anyone is listening to this podcast, I think we can all agree that our our future looks increasingly shaky. And those who are not concerned pretty much should be, regardless of your profession. I suppose the future is shaky, but I think what, the one thing that hasn't gone away is the tremendous need for infrastructure, uh, and particularly in Africa. I think that's one of the interesting things about Africa is the, the need for in infrastructure for housing, for healthcare, for education, you know, is greater than, you know, other developed countries. And so, you know, that need hasn't gone away, but how we deliver that infrastructure is obviously on shaky ground. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I look, if yeah. I look at Africa in, in particular, uh, and I know it's probably the same everywhere in the world, but yet I think there's a big difference between qualification and experience. And I think it's becoming ever more stark within our industry. Uh, you know, and you talk about, you know, the, the built environment with having, depending on what we, as you spoke about, you know, cost management and where the quantities of theirs are fitting in with their way of working. Yes, Africa is very different. Uh, to give you an example with quantity surveyors, you know, the whole of Africa still works on the standard method of measurement, volume seven, which is a printed book. It's not coded yet. So when, you know, when we talk BIM, and you now refer to a quantity surveyor, he's not even coming into the picture because he cannot add any uh, logistical data or be a, be a part of it other than quantification. And we are seeing this, this change as these, these rookie colleagues, as I like to call them, who've recently graduated and, and joined our workforces. Um, they've got roles that never existed back in the day when you and I were qualified. And I think never before have the new, these rookies, as well as established professionals within our industry, been ever more polarized. And I think neither will ever be best served to boldly claim that they hold the, the key to the future. 
So I think it, the right now it's, it's, it's open gates for, for whoever's in the industry. I think the opportunity that still lies ahead is incredibly exciting. And is it potentially one of the advantages that Africa has uh, in that it doesn't have a sort of a, lot, a legacy of you know, a half-baked digital solution, and you know therefore they can just leapfrog through all the the nonsense that has been going on for the last ten years, <laughs> and you know embrace uh, sort of developed practices. Yeah, because I think one of the things that's holding back them in in Europe anyway is there's a lot of legacy processes and procedures, things like the NRM and trying to get the heads around classification systems and things, whereas Africa can just embrace all that's developed in the last 10 years, not having that digital legacy. You've seen it in, we've seen it in other technologies like telecommunications, Africa went straight to mobile, didn't bother with analog telecommunications. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, as as many say, you know, you can Africa Africa on its own is, is a different kettle of fish, and uh, this is Africa. We built Africa, and I think as Africans, we understand and watch back, and we take what we want. And I, I think BIM is no different. Um, you know, there's that saying: much of the old grind is now being digitized globally, and what we're taking with it is our training and experience as South Africans. And we, as we sit back and watch, you know, all this digitization unfold, we do get to pick and choose. So walking to a candy store. I do like the fact that maybe sometimes our government is quite ignorant, as colluded and as corrupted as they are. There is coming, it's going to get to a stage where this, this technical transformation, you know, will change. Uh, it was, I think, that the European futurist, that was Gerd Leonard, who said it so well. Uh, we live in a world where everything is connected, where everything is becoming equally excellent and where performance is reaching perfection. I don't think we even understand the level of perfection that technology will pave the way for us. And in, in his speech, he talks about, are you driving change or are you being driven by it? And I think right now, within this epidemic, this crisis that we face globally, it's a very good question to ask every professional in our industry. You know, what's he doing with his time right now? Is he driving change or is he being driven by the very technology that's being put in front of him, such as Zoom? Or is he actually understanding how he can adjust his business model? You know, if you look at contractors in particular, and I always have a go at contractors because they have this philosophy that if it's not broken, then don't fix it. And this business model for most contractors, I like to put as they wear like a comfy pair of slippers and they often their job roles fit like their fat pair of jeans are expiring like last month's low-fat, high-probiotic, supercharged yogurt forming new life forms in the back of a fridge. What I mean by that is they, they've got, no, we, we've seen these life forms just building in the background while they continue as business as usual. And every now and then they grab some sick technology or they realize that those comfy pair of slippers is no longer fitting and they fit into a new job role because they did a BIM course. And mm. I think we're starting to separate the, those sort of professionals who have, who think they are a bit of a, they've got a Tefla character and that nothing sticks to them, but yet, they, when they throw in the deep end, 
you know, that, that Kevlar is no good to them. But yeah, I think we are very in exciting times. And I think technical transformation, regardless of where you're in Africa or outside of Africa, is inevitable going to happen. And some are just grabbing this opportunity and others are just living, you know, the, the dream. Well, I think one of the things about technology, you know, is it brings more transparency. You know, so people who have these sort of old business models of playing, you know, playing the game, if you like, and um, sort of the pseudo control over the project, the costs, the labor, you know, that's all being disrupted by technologies. What about, um, you know, the, the, the way things are moving towards the cloud and collaboration, uh, remote collaboration where there's no, no longer a need for co-location of people. And, you know, that's going to be the future, obviously, you know, post-COVID-19 world is that we, you know, we need to leverage the technologies that are available for more, you know, fluid and agile collaborations that don't require people to sit next to each other. How's that going to work, do you think, in, in Africa? Does Africa have the, the infrastructure for that sort of collaboration? Yeah, if, if one follows the connectivity around Africa, if you look back in 2008, you know, the only line that we had that serviced the Internet connectivity uh, was the CECOM line, which carried 1.2 gigabytes of Internet connectivity to South Africa. And that meant the average household had an upload-download speed of any between one or two megabytes per second. Uh, in 2015, we now have an average household connectivity of anywhere between 50, and if you're lucky, you might get 70 you know, uh, megabytes upload-download. Yet that's nowhere near close to what the UK or even you in Ireland are expect, getting at the moment. But we're seeing an, a huge drive towards online gaming where the demand is actually being met by society. And as that demand is required, these technology uh, giants are releasing the amount of requirements of, of information or connectivity. And in particular, you see now when we're in lockdown within isolation, there's a massive demand for connectivity within residential um, households, and that is, it is, is throttling us. Mm-hmm. On the business front, I think we are, without a doubt, uh, still being throttled. I think going online right now for many in South Africa, this whole new way of working with the, the crisis we're having is getting a lot of people to to rethink their ways of doing things. And it's where I come up with that nice little quote that says, if fortune favors the brave. And I think we're sitting in a position where if you, if a company or an individual is actually understanding connectivity right now, he's already started working on his new business model. Uh, we've seen quite a few in the past, uh, I'll call them BIM evangelists, come here and promote things such as ISO standards, 19650. We've seen the likes of various Autodesk um, evangelists come here and promote BIM in its entirety. Yet one thing that is missing is I think people understand that the cloud is changing the way we work and how we connect data. And there's a new sort of common term that's coming to a lot of people, and we speak now more about computational BIM as opposed to connected BIM. You know, how BIM 360 is connecting to, let's say, Aconex or connecting to viewpoint collaboration. The, these tools 
are not marrying up. And I think people are starting to find loopholes on how they connect the data and how they connect the pieces. And for many in Africa, that connectivity is not there. And it's incredible how we start seeing projects actually going backwards to PDF and realizing that how much data actually sits within a PDF file. I'm, I'm talking more about 3D PDF now. Mm-hmm. And I think Bluebeam in particular is definitely paving the way for many professionals that are understanding that although the connectivity is there, it's how you present the information to the parties on the other side. And that, I think, is a massive opportunity for, I think, every expert to understand on how they share data using the cloud. Maybe that's a good place for you to come in, John, because you're the connectivity expert. Like, What are your thoughts about you know, the opportunities for innovation and connectivity? Yeah. Well, I would, I'd, I'd have to agree. I think that a lot of businesses are actually being held back by the lack of connectivity between different vendor softwares and the lack of interoperability between the data that they use and require in their workflows on a daily basis. And the workaround to this is manual, you know, manual workarounds where, whereby you have to not only create the information that you need to deliver to whether it be the stakeholder or, you know, the stakeholders that you're working with, but you're also concerned, you, you spend a lot of your time being concerned about how you're actually going to transmit and translate that information into a digital format that will be used by the next guy. I think that integration between these vendor softwares and, you know, is, is, is the key to unlocking a lot of free time. And in, in doing that, given a lot of room for innovation by the stakeholders involved in this digital process, I think that if you don't have to worry about format of the information and the the technical details, how the piece of information are going to be um, named, the metadata, the the content, what what software is going to read this content, etc. There's a huge wave of innovation potential could potentially arise once we get all these systems connected. What's what's the software development scene like in in Africa, Vaughn? Sorry, what, what software development? <laughs> <laughs> you mean well, the one sent by smoke signals? <laughs> no, it's it's a very a very good question, Rolf. Um, I think very very few people understand the uh, how Africa South South Africa works. Uh, we we still we've we've always had this tradition that around the world is that South Africans work harder than the rest, anyone else in the world. And I think some of the technology and the development of apps that is on the go in South Africa is incredible. And we're watching these new forms of technology pop up. We don't have the exposure that the westernized worlds have as well as the Queen's world, as I call it. We don't have the exposure to promote that. And I think the industry lacks funding. And as much as we're scrambling around to try and find the next best job, we're realizing that the opportunity 
to use developers, software developers in particular in South Africa, um, is very much um, misunderstood and underutilized. You know, we talk about industry four, and there's a lot of now focus on blockchain. Yet I think both these two things offer incredible value, which starts with software systems. And that, you know, these brilliant tools are designed to improve processes and efficiencies. And I'm always hesitant to talk about Industry 4 when it comes to Africa. You know, telling 14,000 miners that a machine is going to save lives and go underground and dig a hole for them probably would last less than a day before that machine is destroyed um, by 14,000 laborers. Yet what we're missing is that most applications that use this advancing technology, we're not, we're not training the workforce properly. And I think as the world moves on, Africa's sitting back and watching and learning from your mistakes. And we're taking the, the technology that's being developed. Um, and I like the idea you talk about cloud. I mean, let's take a good example as traditional document management platforms. And this, whole way of working has quickly disrupted us and we don't talk about document management repositories now anymore. We talk about common data environment and how we share and store and conduct analysis and data mining and conduct audit trails. It's always been around. We've just changed, you know, the acronyms and we talk now about data drops rather than document drops. And I think as, you know, John was saying, there's a very important aspect to this whole process, as we want to call it, is that how do we share the data? It doesn't have to be in an IFC format or a Kobe format. It really boils down to what the client wants. And if the client is wanting a simple PDF document just to do the operation and maintenance, we need to understand how that data or that document is going to be utilized. There's still going to be data mining as well as any other analysis or reports conducted. But there's a tool for every expert or there's a tool for every need out there. And I think maybe from my experience, I think this word open BIM has you know, been very much misunderstood by many. Yeah, just picking up one point there, well, a couple of points, but the first one about you know what the client wants. I actually have an issue, a personal issue with that because – Often, you know, the clients don't know what they want. They, they, you know, they don't, they're not the professionals. And I, and I think it's holding a lot of the industry back is because the clients are not asking for the right things, uh, the industry are not responding. But it, like, you don't, in other professions, you don't see that. If I go to a doctor and I'm sick, you know, the doctor doesn't say, well, what do you want? He's the doctor. So I've come here for your professional advice. You know, give me the best advice, give me the best diagnosis, give me the best treatment that you as the professional uh, have got. You know, what I want to do is get better. You know, but in the construction industry, people use the excuse of, well, the client didn't ask for them. You know, he asked for PDFs and that's all he's getting. Yeah, as, a, as an excuse not to do, not to practice digital construction. I feel that that's holding a lot of the, the industry back. You know, I think professionals should stand up and give the best diagnosis and give the best solution to their clients. <laughs> and you, I mean, you, you yeah. are 100% right. I don't think, you know, probably anywhere else in the world is different to South Africa. We, we have many traditional-based uh, asset managers who, and there's, there's probably five big ones that stand out to own pretty much 
most of the assets around the skylines of the cities in South Africa. Yet, you know, even the most sophisticated cut, cutting edge technology is only as good as the people who use it. And even though we, we do tend to ask what the client wants, you're quite right in using the, the analogy around a doctor because you don't go to a doctor telling them what's wrong with you. Yet, I think before we start looking at the professions, we, one thing that we're all missing is that we need to become salesmen within our business. And that means that you're not necessarily selling to a client, but you're selling the idea of information and what it can be done with. I think I've seen from my experience how BIM has fallen very f- short from uh, contractors and that there's a lot of design expectations and design review processes around much of the technology today. Yet when it's handed over to the contractor, it's business as usual. And mm-hmm. those contractors who are paving the way to a brighter future, I think that some of them, especially the smaller guys, they've seen the value add to this and that it's not necessarily changing or getting rid of uh, workforces, but it's improving their efficiencies. And I think if we all follow that same pattern of efficiencies, I, I guess that the client at the end of the day, you know, can pick and choose on what he wants once the project is complete. Just to pick up on another point there, and you, I think you've alluded to it a couple of times, is that, you know, there's a huge demand for people to be trained and educated in these digital processes. Much bigger, I think, than people realize that industry has been very manual in the way it's been operating for years and, and very paper-based. You are the founder of the BIM Academy in South Africa as well, and you have a, a, st- a strong education role, I suppose. Would you agree that the, the need is incredibly big? I think there's a need for digitization, um, upskilling anywhere in the world, and I think you touched on a point that I, in particular, um, you know, that's, I think, where my evangelism comes out. And, you know, if you look around, you can just Google BIM courses through the Internet and what comes up. And every single time it comes up with about software, technology, technology. Yet mm. I've got, you know, the, the statement, nobody starts off as an expert and Nobody's asking you to change your values, but we need to be intellectually, you need to intellectually understand the professional needs of others across the industry while you're applying your technological skills. And this is my sort of main sort of drive behind Africa is that an enthusiastic industry beats individual experts or companies that try to voice their accomplishments and that have their own ingrained ideas is that famous saying one tree can make a thousand matches but one match can burn a thousand trees the vitality that comes from all industry players that unite from all corners of the continent regardless of your race or professional background powers whatever you have in the industry if we come together and become more enthusiastic as opposed to trying to become an expert we can learn together on lessons learned and as much training as you can throw at people around the world, how good your exceptional BIM management is. I think the one point every course around the world is missing is rules of engagement. That is such a, 
it's, it's a dark area. It's this missing link of understanding education. And these rules of engagement depend on how you engage with others. And what I've tapped into is what I call this new way of blended learning. And I'm loving the fact that we are now completely online. Um, we're busy developing a new learning module with interactive online learning management systems, where we believe that every expert around the world should now have a chance to share his knowledge through these podcasts and webinars and putting them into a portal where there's no one size fits all. It's an opportunity for us to share specialized knowledge in digital construction management. And while they're doing that, they get a chance to choose what technology they want to follow. There's no point in us throwing courses out there to do Autodesk, Graphisoft, um, Archicad, Bentley, Tecla, and you get to the end and you go, okay, so what are you qualified as? And that will change depending on your job skills. What won't change is your rules of engagement. And that is what we have to teach this new up-and-coming professional, um, these rookies that are coming up and are going to pave the way for our future. One of the things that we're trying, John and I are trying to do through this AEC Hive initiative was to engage people in the process of innovation. In other words, to bring people together to explore uh, new ways of, of doing things. And you know, we, 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 tri- we trialed this last year in Dublin. So we had an event where people would form little work groups or clusters, as we called them. And, you know, the clusters would define their own challenge or problem that they were trying to think about and solve. And, you know, they came together for a day and an intense day of work to thresh out that idea and then present it to other people and have discussion and get innovation juices flowing. Um, because we believe that innovation isn't something that happens by accident. You know, it's it has to be deliberate. People have to think about it and pursue it and do something about it. What's happening in, in South Africa and Africa? Are there sort of hackathon events and groups that are pursuing and exploring innovation, whether yeah. formal or informal or? Yeah, Ralph, we, we haven't got, you know, the, we haven't got the demands for those type of groups. And again, it goes back to connectivity and social interaction. Um, but those that are following the Please excuse the hardy doll in the background. He's sitting right outside my window. I think there's there are a few groups that are popping up. We are seeing we've got the local Africa BIM community startup, which is a very nice sort of way of introducing people without. There's no gender. There's no status. You can't come and do a presentation. It's it's quite a mix, and I like the way what uh, they've presented there. It's sort of there's no no bars hold. You don't sell anything. You don't promote anything. You talk about the bare necessities of where the industry lies and how do we change it. We've got um, Africa BIM. I think um, there's a, a bunch of Nigerian guys that have got together and they're really pushing a social drive. Uh, ironically, I notice every time that the AEC Hub does a, a podcast, they pop up after with the same person. <laughs> so it's quite <laughs> ironic. <laughs> But I, I have to be honest, uh, what you guys have done at the AESAB is such an incredible initiative. And it's really, really showing people that we don't have to attend workshops anymore in person. We don't have to practice social distancing anymore. We have it all at the fingertips of any device, anywhere. 
um, at any time because I can go back and I can listen to recordings. I, I love the concept of what you guys are doing because there's there's an opportunity now for learners not just to explore technology and, and forget let park BIM for a second and understand the history of, since inception, but these type of engagements talk about you know construction methods, the issues around BIM within a design and build issue, um, tender requirements. You know, we need to start pushing this definition of collaborative production of information and not necessarily talking about common data environments. Uh, understand project protocols are not all driven, driven by BS 1192 or ISO standards. There's other standards out there that apply within other countries. Uh, there's this new word I'm, I'm really liking. It, it's really sort of getting to grips with what I call building assembly management. Um, I know it's a coined term of BAM, but it's really understanding the lean principles of construction procurement. And I think that for many is the question is, you know, I need to understand more about this. We keep talking about digital asset management and rapid business engineering strategies and all of that type of things. Yet we're not having enough skills within, again, I'm going to go back to that word, the rules of engagement. And I think platforms such as AEC Hive is a perfect environment that let it be the next B1M because B1M is to me a glorified YouTube channel that I'd love, love the nice to haves and what everyone's doing around the world. But can someone go and give us a back end presentation of what really happened on the nuts and bolts of that project? And I think that's what people are looking for. Great. Um Great summary on, on what we're trying to achieve. Um, I, I did have a question, Vaughn, slightly off topic. Um, just to go back to your point, or, or rather Ralph's question, around Africa having an advantage as, as they have no legacy technology and, um, and they're able to pick the best of breed of the likes of technologies and standards, etc. What do you think Africa is doing that is in BIM or digital construction that's better than anywhere else on the globe right now? Whether that comes from picking new technologies or standards or, you know, combining whatever it is. I, I was just wondering, is there anything that you might be able to share with us um, up here in Europe? because we have been pushing boundaries and creating standards and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm wondering what we could learn from you. Yeah, thanks, John. Nice question. <laughs> I think what I've learned from my being South African and having the opportunity to pick, you know, and watch other countries' standards unfold and what we're doing in South Africa, what we're doing, we're not doing anything. Right now, there's a lot of selfish BIM. There's a lot of silo BIM. Uh, I would even call it FOBIM. And there's a lot of uh, architects out there, you know, promoting BIM on a, tech, on a design level. The advantage to that is they're doing something. We don't have any, any digital annexes in any country in Africa. Uh, very much still very traditional based. Construction in South Africa as well as Africa, if, if most people know, it's a cash cow. And that audit trails are not a good thing. What we are seeing in Africa is I like to always refer BIM to, to martial arts. It's always been a, a, it's a passion of mine all my life, but yet it's a way of life. 
And these phrases that we're learning across the world quickly become overused and meaningless, you know, and it's begging this question, do we really mean, do we really mean BIM when we say BIM? And I think the truth that time lies, we need to stop and ask ourselves, is it BIM that I'm trying to get or is it making me a better professional in my business? And my, my sort of approach to people on this, regardless if you're in South Africa or not, is that you need to go back to your foundation. You need to go back to your basics and understand your background first before you start jumping into the pool of technology. Uh, you'll get lost. Uh, I think it was um, was it Martin Luther King who said, if you can't fly, then run. You know, if you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, just keep moving forward. Yet, if you look how the UK has been indoctrinated into adopting different levels, one, two, and three, how's that gone for the UK? Who's adopting the new ISO standards? What about the companies that are not ISO compliant? Do they have to adopt the, the 19650 standard? Yes, it's a great path to, to consider, but Africa is not doing anything. We, we have pockets of excellence within certain universities. Uh, by no means is digital construction part of any university curriculum in 16 universities. We don't have class of your own with um, Allison's, what Allison is, Watson is doing. We don't have digital initiatives. And there is days when I actually think I'm Mother Teresa. And although I stand on social media out voicing my opinions, I am hoping that an epidemic of such a nature is going to change the way we, we consider working. And I think it's going to change for many individuals, not necessarily to become an enthusiastic industry, but I think to stay alive is going to be everyone's first initiative and get your job back. And if you are going to get your job back, you know, get a job back that's going to be better than the one you had. But I don't think Africa is making pay uh, ways for any um, additional stuff that we're doing. I am fortunate enough to say that countries such as Kenya and uh, even Nigeria, Tanzania, Ghana are aggressively driving new ways of working with digital construction. And if anyone is considering trying to tap into the African market, I would suggest they look at other countries other than South Africa. There's massive opportunities at the moment within the Kenyan developments, and you're talking to ministers and and governments who are interested. Uh, If you look what Ethiopia did in 2017, they created their first new government digital standards for modeling. South Africa hasn't even, the architects industry, the, the only industry that's really pushing, believe it or not, again, is the Quantity Surveyors Association and the AAQS. I like it because they, they're coming from ground up. They're looking at the actual fundamentals of quantity surveying first, how that will impact the whole profession going forward, and then looking at the basics. And those basics depend on, I guess, it's all about you. Finding your Mr. Miyagi and, you know, training varies. And regardless if you're doing it locally or internationally, I think right now there's no difference between an international qualification and a local qualification. It boils down to what can you offer us in your terms of your technology understanding or experience. And that's, I think, my take on it. It's uh, no different from any other countries that are battling with technology advancements.
I would say the, the definite advantage I see for a lot of African countries who don't have standards, you know, or have very loose standards, is that you know this ISO standard has developed and progressed over a number of years. Uh, so, so I mean, it, it was only published in 2018, but there's about 10 years of development, you know, from starting way back in 1998 with BS1192 as a code of practice for CAD to 2007 to 2013, you know, and it's progressed and become an an ISO standard. And the only reason that we have a UK annex to the ISO standard is that obviously at an international level, they couldn't agree on a a set of project codes. So the the specifics of the PAS standards were taken out and put into a, a UK annex. But, you know, I think one of the challenges in Europe is that countries like Germany, France, Norway you had developed standards already. And so what's holding holding it back at that level is trying to convert from their legacy standards to an ISO standard. But in Europe, the, the ISO standard is accepted at, at a European level and at, like under European regulations – each country can't have another standard. So if they had a, a national standard, they have to drop it. So they have to, they're working through that now because obviously people are used to one way of working and now they've got to get used to another way of working. Whereas if in Africa they, there weren't any information management standards, it's very easy then just to buy the standard for $80 and there you go. <laughs> yeah. You, I think yeah, you, you sort it and uh, just get everybody working that way. And, and then the industry can become incredibly efficient because if everybody was doing things the same way over and over again on each project, then everybody come, becomes incredibly efficient and productive. And, you, you know, that's that's the whole point of standards. Standards are not meant to make life more difficult. They're meant, meant to make things easier. I think, you know, you look at Africa, we have 54 countries that operate with different standards. South Africa yeah. in particular runs on, you know, SANS, SANS 10400 and SANS 1200 for civil engineering. Those standards were developed on the back end of the British standards. Now, they haven't changed in 37 years. Yet mm. there is consideration to look at SANS 10400 adopting an ISO 19650 standard. We're not running on British standards at all. So... There is that, even new rules of measurement. New rules of measurement uh, through RICS is not a standard in, in Africa. It's standard method of measurement still. So, you know, every country has to adopt its standard, regardless if it's a government standard or a private project standard. The biggest hurdle that I think people forget is that Africa right now is 10 years behind the early adopters. And I think many are still looking at BIM as a cost factor as opposed to a value creator. And this buzzword around BIM is still sitting around the initial costs, which we know can be substantial. And I think many firms have been put off by this predicted cost that is being presented to them by vendors. So this is a continuous problem that we combat, that we have to combat. And I, I think ideally these, these benchmarks that need to be drafted by regulators as well as that need to be published should be done with, I don't know, doing it in anonymous data so that industry uh, stakeholders around the world can obviously use that information. Well, the, so cost, can, the cost problem is really just a, a problem of misunderstanding. It's, it's coming back to education because technology is always cheaper than labor. You can buy technology for five euros a day. You can 
you can't buy labor for that. So any technology that saves labor is always cheaper than, you know, than just throwing human labor at the problem. Absolutely. Um, probably yeah. more so in Europe than, say, maybe Africa, because, as I said, yeah. we have a different labor rate. Anyway, sorry, John, you had a question? No, I was just had a commentary. The risk of country or set of countries not adopting the ISO 19650 standard versus building their own information management standards ultimately will come to a head whereby the rest of the world are working through one way of working, i.e. what Europe is doing with ISO 19650. And you can think of that as the equivalent of the iOS App Store. So that will be an information management standard that startups, big companies or big software vendors will support and will be pouring their their resources into that platform because that's ultimately where all the customers are. So like the same reason I, I'm making this call on an iPhone, like a high proportion of developers out there that is building applications for mobile is building them for iOS because the customers are on the Apple App Store. And if we bring this analogy back to what the countries that um, are adopting different information management standards, that would be the equivalent of Nokia coming out with their smartphone platform where they're not supporting Android or they're not supporting iOS and they're coming out with their own proprietary um, I suppose, information management standard. And ultimately, there's going to be no developers on their platform. And it's just going to, you know, if this was in the business world, like we've seen with, you know, Nokia, they'd fail. And Apple and Android would prevail. So I just wanted to point out that it's important for anyone that is really listening and considering whether to adopt the ISO 19650 standard or to indeed make their own, you can really see a clear analogy and a clear similarity between what's happened in the tech world and what I predict would happen and will happen in um, the information management and digital construction world. Yeah, I would agree because, I mean, it, it is an ISO standard, not a European standard. I mean, it's it's... It's an international standard and a European standard, and it's a national standard of all the European countries. Uh, you know, so that's already a big market. Um, now, obviously, standards, ISO standards are, they're not mandatory for use unless uh, they're called up in some regulation or something. Yeah, so obviously in the countries that have mandated them at a government level, they are mandatory for use, but What's interesting about Europe is, you know, the 27 countries now have to have that as their national standard. Um, they can't have a competing standard. So that's under European regulations. Okay, so that that's interesting for Europe. Uh, now, obviously, other countries outside of Europe can have a choice. They can have both the international standard and a, a national standard that are that are different and competing. But if you haven't, as a country, if you haven't developed a standard, then it would seem pointless to spend 10 years, because that's pretty much how, how long it took, developing yeah. a standard um, just for the sake of being different. What does uh, being different do for you as a country, as John's mm -hmm. just pointed out there? It just, it just uh, alienates you and isolates you. 
I mean, I think the, the ISO standard as it is now obviously has scope for innovation as well. So there's scope for improvement and, you know, it's a, but it's something to build on rather than something to, to pull apart. 100%. You're quite right, uh, John. I, I, I do support ISO 19650. Um, I was fortunate enough to be a consultant on a project which was a hydroelectric power plant in Tanzania that's being built. And we tried to adopt the ISO 19650 Part 2 standard. Although it wasn't a requirement, it worked. We, we didn't have to go around looking and reinventing the wheel for a naming standard. We adopted that standard, yet we had to adjust it because obviously ISO 19650 doesn't work for hydropower plants. We had to work with the KKS classification system. But it still gave us a standard that we didn't have to go and reinvent and decide who's got the best naming conventions. And I think it's a great foundation for any country that is considering it to to adopt, you know, that the start of that standard as, as a very good uh, stepping block. Anyway, we've uh, we've come up to the hour, and um, it's been great chatting to you, Vaughan. Obviously, we'll keep the conversations going and you know, try and keep a connection between your groups in Africa and AC Hive developing further. Um, any final questions or comments, John? I just want to say thanks very much, Vaughan. I know you're, I don't know how many thousands of kilometers you are away, and it's from us to have this conversation. It's really incredible. And yeah, I just want to thank you for your time coming on the AEC Hive podcast. And we look forward to maybe following up on this discussion in, in some time to see how you've, you're progressing with information management standards in Africa. Thanks, John. Yeah, thanks, Ralph. I really appreciate that. I think in closing, I'd just like to say to our listeners, you know, don't try to be an expert. Try, try to be enthusiastic. Rather train for life and not just train to make a living. Try to introduce best practice to older teens. And at the same time, ask stupid questions until you understand the answers. Gents, thanks very much. I really appreciate your time and stay safe. Thanks, Vaughan. And where can, um, where's the best place for people to get in contact with you or get hold of you? LinkedIn. Yep. You can't go wrong either the at BIM underscore institute or follow me on LinkedIn. It's Vaughan.Harris. Uh, I'm there and I'm the evangelist. I'm the maverick and please follow me. <laughs> Very good, Vaughan. Please uh, keep disrupting and pushing the digital agenda. So uh, greatly appreciate your time and your input to the, to the podcast.